Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Welcome to another information-packed hour of fun and excitement. I'm Ken Chester, and you've tuned to Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and automotive technology talk show. We stay on top of all the evolving tech that's affecting your life, no matter how you roll. Motorcycle, bike, scooter, car, truck, minivan, SUV, yep, we touch it all. We have talked about cars in the air and cars underground, ride sharing, ride hailing, heck, semi-autonomous and self-driving cars. You get that all right here each and every week. This hour is no different. The theme for this hour is usage-based insurance. Things are changing, and we explore and discuss how and what you need to know. But before we get to the parts bin and the subject at hand... Regular listeners know how to connect with the show. Do you? It's easy, really. Call or text the Roadworthy Drive Line at 872-222-9793. That number, good 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If email is your thing, you can reach me that way, too. It's ken at roadworthydrive.net. When you reach out, please be sure to include the correct spelling of your name and a way to phone or email, whichever you prefer, so that we can contact you if we need to. Also. Let us know if you don't want us to put your voice on the air if and when you call us. Now, normally, I would be saying right here, the Roadworthy Drive crew is at full strength. However, that is not true. Exactly. Thank you so much. Um, While Jack and I are in the house uh, and in studio, our beloved Sasha is not with us today. But we're going to get through it. How you doing, Jack? I'm good, sir. How are you? And no, I am not going to lay into Sasha because she is not here. Oh, she my. Has a really, really good reason for not well, being Well, we're looking forward for her being back yep. at Power in Studio next week. That's true. And I guess we'll start with what's in the parts been this week. Sir? I guess we're going to have to. Um, you know, with all the talk we've done over the, over the last couple of years about self-driving and autonomous vehicle development. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was that the self-driving cars would actually be safer than humans. We've talked about that many, many times. Mm -hmm. What if I told you they're looking at using math to make self-driving cars change lanes more like humans? Why do we need autonomous if we're going to do the same thing humans do? Well, that was my case. I I thought it was a little bit counterintuitive. Yep. Well, researchers at MIT have developed some algorithms for controlling lane changes uh, because it appears that they had two different problems. Either they could program it to be really cautious or program it to be really aggressive, but it doesn't deal with the actual lane changing at hand. Both solutions that they were coming up with had inherent problems relative to real-time lane changing. Okay. Now, what they've decided and what they figured out is to use a new lane changing algorithm that allows for more aggressive lane changes that rely on just immediate information about the other vehicle's directions and velocities to make decisions. In other words, they're not programming it in or they're not going to the other extreme. They're doing it, if I dare even say this, on the fly in real time. 
well, but don't we change lanes on the fly in real time? We do. Um, this optimization solution would ensure a navigation with lane changes that could model an entire range of driving styles, from conservative to aggressive, with safety guarantees, of course. I would hope so. Yeah. So the way I'd call this, self-driving road, self-driving road rage without the accident. What could possibly go wrong? I'm not really sure I like that idea, sir. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out. That's all I need is a self-driving car with an attitude. I wonder, yeah. I wonder if they'll engineer in flipping me the bird when it cuts me off. I have no idea. That should be interesting. Um, Jeep. Let, let, we'll change gears a little bit. Jeep. We talked about last week. Well, we mentioned it, but we didn't mention it in our regular show, but we did talk about it. Okay. Um, they're the latest automaker to throw their hat into uh, the subscription world. They're going to actually produce a subscription and loyalty plan for Jeep owners. Okay. It's actually two pieces. Uh, they're going to try it first as a pilot program. But I really think that if it takes off, they'll probably roll it out. Well, my guess is they're going to roll it out because Jeep owners are, I'm going to say this, one-of-a-kind people. Well, it is a community. It is a way of life. It is much more than the brand. As a matter of fact, for the longest time, the Wrangler was the most customized vehicle uh, in the Fiat Chrysler stable. Mm -hmm. Um, Ironically enough, it was also the vehicle, typically if you buy one, you don't buy another one. You just buy the one, which I thought was pretty interesting. In any case, this is called the Jeep Wave, and it's part loyalty program and part subscription-based ownership alternative. Now, the loyalty part of the program gives Jeep coins to buyers of Jeep, Trailhawk, Trackhawk, Deserthawk, and Wrangler models when they buy their vehicles. Those coins could be used to borrow other Fiat Chrysler products. So, in other words, you accumulate enough coin... Jeep coin, you can use that, and I don't know what the exchange rate would be for the amount of time to get to drive something else, like maybe, oh, I don't know, a Charger SRT8 or something, which would work for me. It would work for you, but not mm-hmm. for your wife. Oh, she'd be fine. It's a four-door. She'd be fine. Okay. It's not a problem. It's fast. Uh, that it, was where I was going. I really don't, I really don't see your wife being uh, an adrenaline junkie. What? Ah. You, on the other hand, yes. Yeah, I'd love that thing. Anyway, additional Jeep coins could be available for purchase if owners needed ongoing or additional access. And and the piece doesn't talk about how many you would accumulate versus, you know, what the cash rate is. Are you accumulating coins each month? Uh, doesn't even get into that. Uh, it seems like that you get a number of coins when you buy your vehicle. Right. You can buy more if you need more. But they don't talk about the exchange rate. Like, for example, you'd need five coins to uh, to borrow, say, a Charger SRT8 or maybe a Challenger or something like that. You know, something slow. Mr. Chester, yes. let it go. You're no fun. Let it go. Anyway, um, to be expected, there are Jeep community and social aspects to it, which only makes sense because, as we say, the Jeep folks, uh, our community – and are very social. I mean, the, the old saying is, it's a Jeep thing. You wouldn't understand. Well, not only is it a Jeep thing, but this also goes to Harley riders. Sure. I mean, it's on that level. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And I've been to one Jeep Jamboree in uh, Pennsylvania years ago. Mm-hmm. 
I'll put it to you this way. They did things with mechanical uh, devices that I didn't think were possible in the wild. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I've been up to my doors in water. I've, yeah, I've done some crazy things in a Jeep, uh, driven over rocks through holes that you're like, yeah, no way. So, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what these vehicles will do. You're right. And, so, I mean, you could almost say the same thing for Land Rover, too. You could. But I'm sorry. I'm not going to take my sixty, seventy, one hundred thousand dollars $100,000 Land Rover off-road. No. Not happening. Now, they've got future plans, um, piloting services like in-car payments for parking, tolls, and security, as well as over-the-air vehicle updates. So it looks like it's an illogical extension of the Jeep community. And that only makes sense. So finally... Are you a safe driver, Jack? Yes. According to Finder.com, a personal finance comparison site, uh, the answer, the actual answer is probably not so much. They issued a safe driving report recently that revealed roughly 138 million American adults have admitted to driving while distracted. And one of the most dangerous habits behind the wheel, talking on the phone, speeding, and driving while tired. I'll let that sink in. I have no comment. I didn't think you would. Um, what's worse, almost one in three drivers admit to speeding, and nearly one in ten admit to fixing their appearance while behind the wheel. Speeding, yeah, hands up here. Sorry. Yeah, my hand is up. Um, interestingly enough, women are more likely to concentrate on their driving than men, while men are more likely to drive under the influence. It is no surprise. Millennials, of course, are most likely to be distracted while driving, uh, compared to the older Gen Xers and us baby boomers. Here's a startling statistic that's got me a little unnerved. Millennials are also six times more likely to drive under the influence. Wow. Six times. But how many years could you actually go back, Ken, and say the teenagers of that generation were but, probably doing some really stupid things? Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. But, you know, when you say millennials, you're also talking into your early 20s as well. Yeah, I know. So at some point, you got to grow up. It's just eh, you want to just be careful out there. So that was interesting. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about Car Insurance 101. This is Roadworthy Drive. Listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. available on four wheels as the 1971 Ford Country Squire. The three-way magic door gate. Works even with the window up. The rear window washer. Lockable storage compartment. Dual-facing rear seats. Door locks, tilt steering wheel, 
hidden windshield wipers. In wagons, nobody flips, tilts, pops, nobody swings like Ford, the wagon master. Nobody. Ford gives you better ideas. If you're just joining us, welcome to the second part of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host, Ken Chester. You know, one of the first cars I ever remember sitting in as a kid mm -hmm. would have been a, it was either a 71 or a 72 Ford Country Squire. No kidding. Dad, Dad went down to look at one. I went with him. And it was, I want to say it was a really dark green color. Yeah. And it was like, that was back when, at least here, the dealers were all downtown mm -hmm. and not in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Well, back in the day, my dad had bought brand new a 73 Pontiac uh, Grand, Le Grand Le Mans Safari Wagon. Mm -hmm. It also coincided with my first plane flight because he was working for the airlines at the time. Mm -hmm. And the credit union was actually at the company's home office, which was quite a ways away from where he was uh, working. Mm -hmm. So we actually had to fly to Pittsburgh um, to, to do the paperwork and, and fly back. I'll never forget the price of that car. Brand new. That 73 cost $4,848.48. Yep. The dealer gave him an $848.48 allowance, and he traded for four grand. Wow. He ran that car up over 100,000 miles, mm -hmm. well over 100, turned around, sold it. The guy he sold it to ran it probably 50,000, 60,000 more miles. And that was back in the day when you could get that kind of mileage out of a car before they went to be a throwaway car. Now you're back to being able to run them. If you really well, take if you really take care of a car, I, I I will disagree with you, sir. Okay, because back in back in the mid seventies, I sold cars and right. I saw what people traded. And if you could make it a hundred thousand miles, uh, people were trading at ninety to a hundred thousand miles, and those vehicles would just barely make it in, with the lone exception. Uh, I'll never forget it. It was a 1968 Volvo wagon. Uh, the dealership that I worked at was near an Army base. Mm -hmm. This car had been all over the place. Bear this in mind. 1968 car. This is 1975 and 76. Okay. The car had, I looked at the odometer, 425,000 miles. And it still ran because I drove it. Yep. It was loose as a goose, but it ran. Well, yeah. I mean... I mean, you almost have to expect that, but you can, if, like I said, if you really maintain your vehicles, mm -hmm. you can get a hundred, two hundred thousand miles out of them easy. Always, you you could you could argue. Uh, I've heard people talk about Pintos and uh, Ford Topazes, vehicles that people didn't think much of. For every person that said it was a piece of junk, there's another fellow that said greatest thing ever owned. I got 150, 200, some ungodly amount of mileage out of it. So yep. here or there. Let's talk insurance just a bit. Do we have to? We do because it's one of those things everybody needs. Here's an interesting fact. Insurance in one form or another for vehicles is required in every state or at least financial responsibility. But yet it's not a federal standard. Every state law. Now, the Constitution protects us that if you buy insurance in one state, you're protected in another state, subject Correct. to their laws. But it's interesting to note, as I was doing the research for this show, that there are no federal laws requiring car insurance. It's all state laws. But mm -hmm. again, my question has always been, if I get insurance in the state that we live in, mm -hmm. and we're in the Midwest, mm -hmm. I take what I assume would be 
a financially responsible amount of insurance mm-hmm. on a vehicle mm-hmm. to cover me and to cover the other vehicle if it is my fault. Mm-hmm. But if I go, let's say, to Texas, Florida, mm-hmm. or California, mm-hmm. is that going to be enough money to cover the expenses there? It should be. Here's here's the thing we're going to get into this a little bit. Um, there are minimum requirements. Right. In the state we live in, you're not required to have insurance, but you are required to have uh, be able to prove responsibility that you have financial responsibility. That if you're in an accident, that you can deal with it. And we'll get into that. There's a number of ways in our example that you can do that. Okay. But typically, the way this works, insurance, you pay a premium uh, that's usually based on the vehicle the age and gender of covered drivers, their driving history, which I want to define real quick, and the location where the vehicle is primarily driven and stored. Now, when I say their driving history, and this is the important part because this is what's changing, we're talking about basically what's on file either at the Registry of Motor Vehicles or the Department of Transportation relative to accidents, tickets, moving violations. How long are they going back, though? Um, you know, that's a good question. I heard typically three years. Yeah, that's what I thought it was, was three years. But here's what is changing. That's what's on file. And here's another thing you may not realize. You realize in the last 10 to 15 years, credit scores are also taken into consideration? Yep. For car insurance. Yep. Wasn't always that way. Nope. And, and, and I wonder, how could my credit score be reflective of my whether I'm a safe driver or not. It's not about your safe driving. It's called, are you responsible? You know what? But still, even with a credit score, there's a lot of reasons um, for a low credit score. What if I pay cash for everything? There, There's one. How about medical bills? Absolutely. Does not make me an irresponsible person, particularly if I keep my insurance up knowing full well that, you know, if I... Honestly, if I'm driving a vehicle that's five years old or less and I'm making payments, mm-hmm. the bank demands I carry insurance right. and send them a binder. Right. So that really doesn't mm, – I, I, I'm not really totally comfortable with that one. Well, I'm not comfortable with them using a credit score anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really quick, would you believe the first insurance policy was sold in 1898 by Travelers Insurance? It was $5,000 for liability coverage at the time. And there was only 4,000 vehicles on the cars on the road at that time, as opposed to 18 million horses in 1898. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that policy uh, would have cost him in money $12.25, which in today's dollars would be about $316. Now, is that a month? No, no, no. That was for the year. It was 1898. Okay. Bear in mind, the average cost to insure a car, average cost in the United States today, is $821 a year. Could be higher in some, lower in others, probably lower where we're at, higher where I came from, where I grew up. Probably. Oh, definitely. It's a no-fault state, and it's outrageous. Okay, when we come back, meet the Root Insurance Company. They want to change things. This is Roadworthy Drive. This is 
Nebraska's Roadworthy Drive. If you're just tuning in, we're on the downhill side of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for listening. I'm Ken Chester. If you haven't yet liked us on Facebook, why not? We are all over the universe of social media, with our very own Sasha sharing her interesting and entertaining finds between shows during the week just for you. For those of you that need more than your fair share of the road, be sure to check out the show website. That's roadworthydrive.com. We have audio clips of past shows, video of our behind-the-scene antics, and so much more. For those of you who are truly mobile, you can find us now on Google Play and Blueberry Podcasting, Blueberry B-L-U-B-R-R-Y Podcasting. No matter what your type of mobility, we got you covered. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of social media. Yeah. If Sasha was here, I would be addressing something with her. Which is? Because she put up this week basically saying that I was all goo-goo over the digital license plate. Okay. I don't remember being all goo-goo over it. Oh, my. You know, I don't, I don't remember me being that enthusiastic about it. Because all I saw with it was, yes, it's nice. However, mm-hmm. used in the wrong hands, it could get you into trouble. I see it as a money grab. I do too, and, and especially when the device itself is six hundred ninety-nine dollars, yeah. yeah, almost seven hundred bucks. Yeah, I'm going to have you save that conversation for her next time she's in studio. Got it. And let you deal with that. Okay, um, where is the car insurance industry headed? Actually, we haven't even begun to address what the industry will look like in a post-driver autonomous world, but it should come as little surprise since there seems to be everything needs an app or gets an app or has an app or you've got an app for that. Uh, There is an app for car insurance, too. But this particular app is different from anything you may have encountered in the past. Before I introduce you to a new upstart called the Root Insurance Company, let me talk about where it's going, and it's called usage-based car insurance. What? Usage-based car insurance. Why am I uncomfortable with that? Um, because you're going to have to give a little more information. Remember in the last segment, I talked about uh, your driving record? Right. And remember I said remember that because typically it's limited to what's reported, which is basically violations. There's no good news in your folder except it's good news by its absence. Right. Now, most people probably are familiar with Progressive uh, uh, Snapshot. The thing you plug into your OBD2 port, right, and it monitors your driving for a period of time, and based on what it learns, you can get a break. Now, the advantage to that is it will reward a safe driver up to a 10% reduction in their policy cost. But it gives them more information than just the bad news. However, like most of us, are we good all the time? No, and I'm really beginning to think that Big Brother's about to take over. Did you know that there are 30 or 40 usage-based insurance systems currently being used by insurance carriers right now? No, I did not. And, oh, by the way, that statement is three years old. Really? Yes, sir. It seems that customers that use 
usage-based car insurance models um, are more satisfied, get a better break, and they like being in control and paying for their own driving habits versus subsidizing bad drivers because you're being judged for your driving, not being in a pool where you have to subsidize because you're a good driver, but others in that pool for that insurance uh, company are not, and it's a pooled number, you end up paying more. Okay, and I understand that, and that's the way it's been as long as I've been alive. Yeah, here it is. Recent insurance study done. Uh, they studied 1,100 drivers, um, and they have made 1,100 drivers who have used um, or are participating in usage-based insurance. Okay. They have made changes, and they said oh, more than half, 56% have made changes in how they drive since installing a telematics device provided by their insurance company in their primary vehicle. Now, the same folks cited that obeying the speed limit and maintaining a safe following distance as behaviors they would most likely change. Now, let me introduce you to Root, because this is these folks want to take that to the next level, only using your smartphone. In, okay. your, in your car as that telematics device. The average telematics device that Progressive uses or mm-hmm. that if the plug-in device mm-hmm. costs $100 to the insurance company and for it to transmit $5 a month. You start multiplying that towards millions of cars, that's a lot of money. Yes, it is. Imagine now using a device you already have, your smartphone. Download the app. And you get into something what Root company, what the Root insurance company calls the test drive. It uses your phone for two weeks to monitor your driving. It has algorithms to, to, to factor out the noise, whether even down to if you're a passenger as opposed to a driver, whether you are, you know, uh, doing it for work or not. Based on that, if you qualify, they'll, they'll offer you a rate. Okay. The rate could be as, li- as much as a 52% reduction in what you're paying now. Okay. Remember, Progressive was only 10. Yeah. They're talking upwards of 52%. Now, here's the other thing. If you're a bad driver, don't bother. They don't want you. Isn't that being discriminatory? Um, There are approximately seven states, including the one we live in, where they are authorized to do business. Okay. And that they said that that sort of choice is totally legal. They argue that... The 30 percent that are bad drivers are count for 50 percent of the accidents and claims. If you eliminate them and you don't have to subsidize them, you could give safe drivers a better lower rate, regardless of their age, which means if you're a young driver that is conscientious, you could save a ton. Okay, what I want to see is what are they going to do with the 16 or 18 year old? who has just got his license, mm-hmm. who is going to be driving, mm-hmm. and let's all admit it, when we all first started driving, or mm-hmm. at least the people that I was around at the time, mm-hmm. we were incredibly conscientious about how we drove, what we did. To a degree. To a, de- well, to, to a degree, yes, you're right. Because we did a sur- we covered a survey here that when you first got your license, you were fine, but by the time you were a senior in high school, you were a lot less careful. Their two-week test drive would weed those out. If you, if you uh, exhibited behaviors 
that were contrary to self-driving, you would not get an offer of a rate for them. Okay, my, my first problem with this is what do I do if I have to put it to the floor to get out of a situation? Remember, two weeks, not one incident. Two weeks over a period of time. Okay. They will look at your patterns. It's, their algorithms are pretty advanced and pretty intense. So it's not as if one particular situation is going to penalize you. It's going to look, be looked at the aberration that it is. And if I have an accident that is not my fault, what happens? Be taken into consideration. So all of that, this is where we're going. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, our concerns of privacy. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. This is the fourth and final segment for this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. Now, during this hour, we've been discussing car insurance, how it started, what it is today, and what it might be in the near future. Now, as I said earlier, to be honest, we really haven't and we're not going to talk about car insurance for an autonomous mobility style future. <laughs> That'd be the subject for another show. And I do need to correct something I said uh, last segment. I said that route insurance was only in seven states. And I think when I counted uh, during the break, it was more like 14, but they're adding states as they go along. So that even may be dated by now because they were looking at getting into even more states. So that's a thing that is evolving and happening. But the big question I've got, is usage-based insurance really a devil's bargain or is it really a great deal? That's the question. I can see this being an absolutely good deal if, underline if, exclamation point the if, they don't use the data in any malicious way. Yeah. Okay. Am, now, I, am, am I right? I don't disagree with you. Here's a, here is another example of a survey, recent survey about usage-based insurance, car insurance. Uh, sharing personal uh, data, driving data, uh, consumers' comfort level is increasing. Uh, this now, again, this survey mm -hmm. was done four years ago. There is no other information that is more current. This is what I have, but I still want to read these numbers because it's kind of amazing. Okay. Four years ago, 35% um, of the people surveyed were comfortable with sharing that kind of data. That was almost as good as sharing online banking data, which was 36%. Search data, 29%. And actually, social media personal information was the lowest at 27%. Although I got a feel the willingness to share. Mm -hmm. uh, although I think that would be even lower now. The argument is that usage-based insurance customers pay lower premiums and approve their driving, while insurers attract safer and lower-risk drivers. But yet, still, the take rates are pretty low. I think they're about 23% of all policies are actually usage-based. Mm -hmm. um, I just... I don't know. I, you, I, you look perplexed there. I am perplexed. 
Okay, you know, I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at this information. Um, again, this is this is four years ago. Survey: eighty percent of smartphone owners surveyed say they'd be okay with the idea of downloading a usage-based insurance app on their devices in order to monitor their driving. Okay, here's another question. How much of your data plan is this thing going to use? Good question, and I don't have that answer. Um, but one thing I do want to mention that, that had me a little bit concerned. Okay. Um, now, just to give you some comparison, in the six, over the six, first six years that Progressive had their snapshot, they started in 2008, mm-hmm. 1.6 million drivers have used it. Okay. Now, a recent study by the University of Denver says that UBI tracking programs installed in millions of vehicles can collect data that shows where drivers are going, unbeknownst to the users of technology. They say they won't use it, though. Here's something a little more ominous. They don't need to use it. Why? They have algorithms that can, without knowing exactly where they're going, can um, determine that on its own. Through mathematics. Now, now I'm really getting creeped out. And you should a little bit. However, they also mention carriers don't want to keep or gather information like that where each customer is driven to avoid getting drawn into unrelated legal entanglements. And this is the example they use. Can you imagine how many divorce attorneys would subpoena information on a suspected wayward spouse? A lot. And where's, where is my right to privacy? You know, we've talked about on this show a lot about I, privacy concerns. And I've been the one leading that. Thank you And very you much. have. And I, each day that passes, I'm more on your side, believe it or not. Don't, no, tell, don't tell Sasha. Yeah, I know. We won't tell Sasha. Don't we'll, tell Sasha. Uh, we'll keep it our little secret. Here's something that scares me. 2015, and I quote, all states sees profit in selling customer driving data. That is out of the insurance journal. That is a problem right there. The records could also be valuable to advertisers who would want to know where potential customers travel and what hours they are on the road. Because insurance are increasingly using data on customer habits to help analyze risk and set prices. We already get bombarded with enough advertising. Oh, yeah. You know, the last thing I need is now information customized being bombarded at me. And the fact that the company is making money based on just my movements. And we talked about this in the last segment with the digital license plate. Part of that trade-off for that is that you have to allow them to use advertising on it while you're not driving. I don't think that was a uh, requirement. But they can still do it. Mm, I think it was an option. Was that an option? Yeah, I didn't see that where it was required. Okay, I didn't see that. No, I didn't see that required. But my point is this, and it's always been, our information, pieces of who we are, pieces of what we do, pieces of where we go, is out there in the ether. And big data is collecting all this data. And, you know, the reason why we even bring it up is that it has a lot to do with even your vehicle. Cars are now rolling computers. They collect and they transmit lots of information. Now, to be honest, a lot of it autonomously, anonymously, you know, like driving speed and, and location, but some specific. And how do we know what's being collected, 
How do we know if it, in fact, is being scrubbed of personal identification and and amalgamated together? And here's the big question. Why do you get the right to sell it? Well, and my question is, and my guess is I already know the answer to this, which will be no. But do I have the ability to opt in or opt out and still get user-based insurance? Uh, that, no. User-based insurance is because it's user-based user insurance. I, and, and I get that. Which means if you want the lower rate, and that's the trade-off, that's the bargain. Do you, giving more information to your insurance company about how you drive and where you drive and when you drive, to get a savings because now you're not being pooled together with everybody else. They're looking at you for you. And if you're a safe driver, you're going to get a lower rate. But the question is, is it worth the trade-off of giving up information? I don't think it's worth the trade-off, number one. And number two, I'm going to say this. You know I will not have an Alexa or Siri in my house because I don't want them listening to every conversation because for this exact same reason. Well, food for thought, because your truck is transmitting information. I, I understand that, but it better not be recording phone conversation. I have no idea about that. Well, we're not going to settle this today, but this wraps up this hour of Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for listening. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.